Can you hear me? Sorry, technical difficulties. I'm not the most technical people. How about now? Is that any better? Okay, great. Well, good news is I tend to have a fairly loud voice, so I'm okay with projecting if I need to. <laughs> um, so thank you everyone for being here today. Um, my name is Scott Palmer. I'm one of the elders who's here, and I get the privilege of sharing God's word with you today. Um, so yeah, it's just great to look around and see so many uh, great people here and, and wonderful uh, faces, and hopefully you've had a, a wonderful, restful time for Thanksgiving, just like uh, my family has, for the most part, had that as well. Um, today I want to share with you a story about something that God has uh, done in my life this year. Uh, I should say it's a very specific uh, event that took place, and I'm calling it Stuck on a Rock. And once I share the story, it'll be pretty obvious why that is. Um, and then we will go into uh, a time where we go into this passage of Scripture out of the book of Mark. So if you're one of those people who likes to turn ahead and... Um, find the passage ahead of time, then go for it. Just uh, ditch that thing, eh? How about that? Better? Okay, yay! Well, hey, we just had Thanksgiving. There's something else to be thankful for. Technology that works, right? So, um, yeah, uh, we'll go into this text here on Mark uh, chapter 6. So if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. So feel free to raise your hand and someone will bring one around to you because we've got a couple of them scattered throughout here so that that way you can follow along really uh, pretty well. Um, so during this past summer, I had an experience that for me wasn't a whole lot of fun in this one moment. Um, but I do think it's something that God has used to teach me some things. And I think that he can speak into what uh, many of us already feel as well. Uh, my wife's family decided they were going to rent a houseboat on Lake Powell. And if you don't know where Lake Powell is, that's okay. It is on the border of Arizona. Like, there's a little bit of it, it's in Arizona, but most of it is in Utah. And it's a lake that uh, comprises a, a good chunk of the Colorado River. Um, how many of you are boating people? Anybody out there like to boat? Anyone? Okay, so there's a fair number. Good, you can correct me when I screw up all the boating things, or you can hear me, you know, talk about it and go, wow, like, he did something really stupid. That's great. Um, so let's just say that there's a part of me that was really excited for this. I thought this will be a lot of fun, and then there's a part of me that really wasn't, because there was going to be 13 of us on a boat, and it was 105 degrees every single day that we were on this boat. Um, so we were really out in the middle of nowhere. Um, Good news is, when it's really hot, you can go ahead and just kind of rest up and relax and go, hey, we're just going to jump in the water and cool off, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we were, the day before we were going to get off the boat, though, we were about seven hours away from where we were uh, heading back to, the, the marina. And we had a speedboat with us as well, and within this boat, we had um, uh, some others who said, hey, there's some canyons here, and we want to go up and check out those canyons. So while we do that, why don't you go ahead and just take the boat out into the main channel? It's real easy. Just go over there, and we'll catch up with you in a few minutes. So if you can go through these next couple of slides, I just want to give a couple of pictures. I know it's hard to see. This is me driving a boat. I look happier than I probably really am because I, I'm not a tech guy. Like, I'm not a car guy. I'm not a boat guy. This is me kind of 
faking it a little bit and going, yeah, I got this, I can do this, this is great, right? Um, if we go to the next slide though, this is part of what Lake Powell will look like. And so you can see there is like a channel that's there where you can go back there and then it goes around to the right. And so this one's fairly easy to figure out, hey, where am I going? But you can also see there on the rocks that there are color variations of where the water can get up to and where it currently is, so it was pretty low. Um, if we continue to the next one again, what we'll see is there's also these great you know, channels like this, and you look and maybe at first from afar you go, what is that? I'm not sure, is there gonna be another one of those sneaky little things back there, or is this gonna dead end and it's more of a place to just anchor your boat? Uh, the, the next one though, uh, and we can stop there too. So it, I know these are a little challenging to see up there because of the lighting, but this one looks that same way, and then as you go back there, you realize, oh, it actually does curve around there to the right. So part of the problem that I got into was I went out into the water and I thought, okay, I think I can figure out where I'm going. And suddenly I looked and went, oh my gosh, I'm not sure that I actually do know where I'm going. And I looked and there was other people still on the boat with me and I turned to them and I, you know how you get that feeling inside and you just go, hey, am I going the right way? So don't ever say guys don't ask for directions. I did. And you know what, when it comes down to it, everybody on the boat said, no, this is totally right. You're doing the right thing. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And so I continued on a little further. And I'm like, you know, this just doesn't look familiar. And I've just been feeling like something here is not quite right. So I asked them again, are you sure? Are we going the right way? And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the way you're supposed to go. This is the right way. Um... And so I just continued on, going, all right, this is the way I'm going to go. Now, can I get a couple of volunteers? Can I have three people come up here real quick? It's very simple. I just have something visual that I need people to help me with. Come on down. Come on down. Awesome. All right. I need one person to stand in the middle and hold this on each side, and then one of you to take the other piece. And we want to spread out here as much as we can. So the tape measure's in the middle, and then, yeah, however you want to do it. And pull it as far as it will go. These tape measures that I've brought are each 25 feet in length. Okay, so the two of them are going to combine to be 50 feet. The boat that I was driving was 53 feet long. As I was going out in the water and everything, you're looking ahead of you and it's just blue and it's nice and you're like, hey, this is great. All of a sudden I looked in the water and I went, oh my gosh, there's a rock underneath the water. As it, but you had to get really close in order to see it. Any of you see that movie Titanic? <laughs> um, as soon as you see that, you end up with that moment. Because like, I saw Titanic, I thought, how do you not see this? But this is underneath the water, and so I couldn't see it. Like, literally, none of it was sticking out of the water. It was probably, you know, two feet or something underwater. I, I'm, um, and so as soon as I saw it, I went, oh, my gosh, there's a rock there in the water, and I killed the engine, and I immediately tried to, like, turn the boat as much as I could. I don't want to hit this head on. Maybe, maybe, just maybe I will miss it somehow. Maybe I'll graze it and we'll bounce off and, and we'll be okay. Um, but a boat that's this size as you might have learned from the movie Titanic, doesn't turn so well. <laughs> doesn't turn that quickly. And so I titled this Stuck on a Rock because I put that boat right up on the rock. 
awesome, right? Um, and from there, we waited until our little speedboat came back, and I had the really joyous news of letting him know, I'm sorry, I've put our boat up on a rock, and we can't move. And we're in the middle of nowhere, and so we really had to call the National Park Service, and they said, uh, it's gonna be seven hours before someone can come to you. And just so you know, Lake Powell's pretty hot, so I can't remember if I just said this a moment ago or not, but it's 105 degrees every day we were there and there were 13 of us on a boat. So that's not a lot of fun, including one who had just, wasn't quite yet one years old, and a couple of you know, smaller kids, and they're like, why isn't the boat going? We wanna go, and you're like, because I put it on a rock, and all of those things. Um, I'm gonna come back to this story later on, because obviously I'm not stuck on that rock anymore. <laughs> Praise God, I'm very thankful for that. Um, and thank you for holding these, you can bring them back in now. Um, but I find that in that moment, I felt so stupid. <laughs> and that's pretty much like my least favorite feeling in the world, is doing something that you're like, that was so boneheaded, and I don't know what I'm doing, but here I am just the same. But I have found that God takes a lot of our really boneheaded things that we do, and he redeems them, and he uses them to teach us a lot about who he is and about how we are to be in relationship with him. And so I want to dive into our text today, which is Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 52. Um, and if we can pull it up on the screen, it reads, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd, after saying farewell to them, he went up on the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. When he saw that they were straining at the oars against an adverse wind, he came towards them in the early morning, walking on the sea. He intended to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. I feel like a couple things I want to just say real briefly before we really get into this here is that God um, put this text on my heart, you know, partially because we've got a boat story, you know, just like the one that I had, and I find there's a lot of similarities between driving it up on a rock and some of the things that are happening here. But I also know that just before this happens is where we find out that John the Baptist has been killed. And Jesus goes to his disciples and says, come away with me to this deserted place and you can get some rest, which is what we were ultimately looking for on our family vacation. We were looking for rest. They show up and thousands and thousands of people are there. There's no rest. It's just stressed, right? And so they end up with those kind of things. But at this point, as Jesus goes to disperse the crowd, we enter into this story that probably a lot of us have heard before. Now, there's a, a pastor out in Hawaii uh, who's kind of famous and has a, a big church, and he talks about ways to read scripture is that when he sits down and does it, he calls it the SOAP method, where S is for scripture, then O is for observations, A is for applications, and then you end in prayer. And I'm kind of going to go along with that a little bit today as we've gone through the scriptures, but I want to move into just making some very simple observations of things that I see in the text that God is showing to me and saying, hey, these are our important you know, elements to understand. 
And observations, when you read scripture, they don't always mean that you have it all figured out. They can just mean, hey, in my limited capacity, these are just things that I see, and I don't necessarily know what every one of them mean, but let's note that, because there are no throwaway statements in the Bible. All of it is important, and it's all been put there with intentionality and with purpose. Just like each of the things that we see Jesus doing is with intentionality and purpose. And I mean, I'm kind of letting the cat out of the bag there a little bit to say, there's a number of things that are here that you kind of, as we walk through it, will go, well, that's a little interesting. Why did Jesus do that? But there is intentionality and purpose behind everything that he does. So as we move on here to these observations, the first observation that I want to make is that the disciples were away from Jesus because he sent them. Um, I don't know how well this fits with everyone's theology to think about that, but here's the, the text. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. So very intentionally, Jesus takes the disciples and sends them away. Now, if you had a crowd of thousands and thousands of people and you needed to disperse them, if you're at all like me, you would say, I want as many people around as possible, as many hands on deck, if you will, so that they can help with that. I'm not going to be inclined to say to everyone here, no, you all go on ahead. Like, I'll take care of it. There's like 10 or 15,000 people. No big deal, right? Um, so I find that this is really interesting that he sends them away here. And I find myself asking, why would he do this? You know, what, what is this about? Um, some of it may be very practical. I don't know, like I, sometimes you have to speculate a little bit and go, so what is going on here? It could just be as simple as saying, listen, I told you guys we're gonna come away and get some rest. This is a very stressful environment. Let me put you on the boat and we'll send you on ahead. You can get there a couple days before me or whatever and then you can have a little bit of time to yourself. The crowds are attracted to me more than they are to you. I don't know. Um, I have some, you know, um, some reasons that I think or that I would like to postulate in a couple of minutes here may have been involved with this. But I do want to say, without a doubt, what this tells me is Jesus very intentionally did this. Um, it, it's probably more than just, hey, I just desire to be by myself since he's going to hang out with all of his own 15 or 20,000 people or whatever's there in the crowd. But he knows what he's doing, and so he did this on purpose. And if you're like me, and you believe Jesus knows all things, then he also knows what's going to happen to them out on the water. He already is well aware of this. And so his intentionality and his purpose means that he knows he's going to send them into a situation where they are struggling. So again, we'll come back to that in a moment and go, why is he doing that? So observation number two is that the disciples were not getting very far on their own. And the passage says it this way, when he saw that they were straining at the oars against an adverse wind. Um, I don't know. I can remember a time where my wife and I, we rented a canoe, and there was like the gentlest of breezes, and we couldn't get it moving forward because we weren't in sync with each other. We were just like both trying to paddle too strong or whatever, and we just kept spinning and spinning. And these are seasoned veterans, not all of them, you know, but Bible's told us at this point, there's a number of them who are fishermen that we can say, look, they're on a boat in a lake that they know, that they should know what they're doing. And 
he sees that they are straining at the oars. There's this big wind that's there. It's a storm, right? And I find that this is really, really natural. You know, after all, Jesus is the one who has sent them away. It's natural that they are straining because there's nothing else that they could do, right? I mean, they're not just going to let the wind go ahead and just push them away and just say, here, you just blow me wherever you feel like and we'll just crash up on a shore somewhere. They've got to be in this fight. And on some level, they are there on their own, which in struggles of life, kind of like putting myself up on a rock, like I did that on my own. That was entirely me doing that, right? But I was just doing what seemed very natural and what seemed very normal, but it doesn't always work out super well when that happens. But then as we get into this third observation, I love this part. Jesus responds to their struggles. So again, he knows they're going to struggle. He knows that they've got this adverse wind. He knows that even as seasoned fishermen, they're, they're still not going to make any headway here. And he responds. As it says here, picking up, you know, uh, it says, he came towards them in the early morning walking on the sea. So he had dismissed this crowd, which he probably did the day before. Like, he's probably not sending them away in the middle of the night. And then he goes up and he prays. And then he comes towards them in the early morning. So their strain and their struggle isn't something they've just, okay, they've been at it for an hour. Let me go and jump in there and rescue them. It's been something that probably they're pretty exhausted by this point. They've been really, really working at it all night long. And that's really tough. I love it, though. Jesus comes towards them. He doesn't leave them there and say, you know what, they will figure it out. He doesn't just put them in a position to say, I bet they'll have a really good story to tell when we meet up again. You know, he says, I'm going to come towards them. Um, one Bible commentary that I read put it this way, Jesus' prayer was interrupted by his concern for his disciples. From the hill, he could see the boat far below on the lake, making no headway because of the wind. Isn't that a beautiful picture to think that that's who Jesus is? That while he is off praying, he's not so involved with his own solitude as to be uninterruptible. But that he says, I have concern for my disciples. And as a result, I'm going to interrupt this very intimate time with my father to come and be with them and to help them. Continuing from there, the fourth observation I find four and five are, are really key and interesting things. So really catch this. Number four, Jesus intends to pass them by. And, you know, the scripture part just simply puts it that way. He intended to pass them by. This was no accident. This is not Jesus being unfamiliar with the territory. It's not that the storm is so bad that he's like, I know they're kind of in that general direction, and then he just somehow misses them. He very purposefully means to pass them by. Does that seem strange to any of you? Yep. I mean, we just saw, we just talked about, it. he could see them out there. He knew that, that they were straining. He saw them, he responded to them. He comes near them, fully planning to pass them by. It's not what I would expect initially when I think about this. And I, it makes me ask, well, why would he do that? Why would he draw near only to pass them by. But again, I go back to, you know, he has intentionality and he has purpose in all that he does. Um, point five, the disciples responded and cried out. 
says, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. Now, I can observe simply that they cried out and that they saw what they thought to be a ghost. I can't tell you if their crying out was done in faith, if it was them saying, Jesus, come and save us. We're, uh, we're being swamped. There's a ghost out here. Maybe we're really superstitious about that and we think our boat is going to sink. Maybe they're just crying out in fear. Oh my gosh, there's a ghost over there. I don't know. But I do know that they end up with their own response there and they do um, cry out. And I would say that at this point, they certainly has been demonstrated that they need Jesus in the boat there with them. And they understand that to a certain degree at this point. Um, I want to put out there when I said in the beginning, why would Jesus do this? You know, why would he go up on the mountain and pray after dispersing the crowd and send his disciples off on their own, knowing they're going into an adverse wind, knowing that he will go near them and then plan to pass them by? I want to put it out there that Jesus does this knowing that it's up to them whether or not they are going to call out to him or not. Will they respond? I would argue that in times of struggle, Jesus is always right there responding to us. But part of the question is, is as his disciples, are we, we may not always feel his presence, right? Like he's in the area in this story, but it's not like they could look out and go, hey, that over there, that's Jesus walking on the water, right? Um, but they cry out just the same. And the way that I look at it is, is that they're crying out, and I'd like to think they're crying out saying, Lord, we need you to save us. Like, we've done all that we can on our own, and we just need you. And Jesus comes and puts himself physically in their area and waits to see, what are they going to do? Are they then going to cry out to me, or are they not? If not... It means that in some way they're choosing to continue to try to do it entirely on their own. But if they do cry out, I can join in and, and help rescue them. There's another story in Scripture that I find to be very similar in that way. It comes out of the book of Luke. I'm just going to read it real fast. It's in Luke 18, 35 to 42. It says, as he, that being Jesus, approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard a crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Then he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he shouted even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me see again. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, praised God. Now, this is uh, in other books where this uh, same story is recorded. The blind beggar is given the name Bartimaeus. And what I like about this story here is there's no indication given here that Jesus was coming into Jericho with the express purpose of, hey, there's a blind guy over there, I'm going to go and heal him. 
Again, I think Jesus knows everything. And so I think Jesus is able to say, I know there's blind you know, people over there. Bartimaeus probably isn't even the only one. I mean, it's fairly likely there's other people there with different conditions and different things going on. But what we end up seeing is, is that as he comes through there, he's just simply passing through Jericho. This is on his way to Jerusalem. So he's really not intending to stop there and do big-time major works. And instead, this guy Bartimaeus inquires, what's going on? What's happening? And then they tell him, well, Jesus is right here. And then he cries out because he knows his need for Jesus. He knows that he's got to be healed and that he cannot do this on his own. There is a response and there is a crying out. And he does this in the face of opposition, of people telling him, be quiet. It says that they sternly ordered him. That somebody could order you suggests that, you know, there's people with power dynamic. Hey, you're lower than us on the social order. Shut up. Be quiet. We don't want to hear it. We're trying to see Jesus. And instead, it becomes a, I'm going to shout even louder because I know my need. And then Jesus responds. Okay? So if we move on to the sixth observation, moving back to the story in the boat in Mark, what we see is that Jesus responds, he enters the boat, and the storm subsides. Again, I don't know if they're crying out in faith or what exactly they're doing, but I do know that he responds. I know that he gets into the boat. I know that it, the, the storm ends. And it says right there, then he got into the boat with, the, with them, and the wind ceased. Plain and simple. That's amazing. It's totally amazing. I'm not here to tell you that this is all some magic guarantee. Hey, we've all got struggles in life, but if you just pray and just call out to Jesus, just everything's just all of a sudden going to be better. I mean, I know every one of us, it could be a health concern. It could be financial, it could be something to do with our kids or our spouse. When is this going to change? Why does this keep happening? When is it going to get better? But I do believe in Jesus' ability to heal us on the spot like that, or to change our trajectory, or to change our position, or to bring healing. I've often found, though, that a lot of these things do happen more like a process. When I got my boat stuck, I didn't just immediately have it get better. Like I said, we called the National Park Service. They said it's going to be seven hours. Have fun with that. We tried some different things. We thought, okay, well, we've got the speedboat. Let's, let's attach a tow rope to it and see if we can pull ourselves off. And we tried that, and we spun like a top on this rock there. It was awfully fun. We didn't go anywhere. Just kept doing these slow little turns. There were two things that actually helped us get off of this rock before. So we, we did end up having to wait several hours before we got off, but it was before the National Park Service got there. One was that off in the distance, there was another boat. And the boating thing is kind of like, there's like a boater's community, right? You look over and you see, hey, there's this boat, and it's somewhere where it, it's not moving, and clearly it doesn't belong there. That's not anchored up on anything. And so these people came over to us on a jet ski, and 
wanted to find out what was happening, and they tried to hook their jet ski up to it and pull, and it didn't do anything, and, um, and then they went back to their boat. But then later on, um, you know, after some time had gone by, they came back again and had a, another jet ski. And so I think they hooked up two jet skis, and we had our, you know, motorboat that we put onto there, and we moved all of us to one side of the boat. Like, we were doing everything we could think of. Let's do all of these things. And, and I mean, we had really been trying and grinding it a little bit on the rock and all this kind of stuff. And so one of the things is, is that in times of stress and, and, you know, that kind of trouble, isn't it amazing that God gives us each other and that we have community here that we can rely on each other? I already told you I'm not a boat guy. Like, if it was left up to me, I'd still be on that rock because I wouldn't know how to get off of there probably. The second thing, though, that happened was this. I showed that one picture in the beginning. We, we passed through it real quickly, and it showed the, the color variations on the rock because the water level was pretty low at that time. But we had heard that water was flowing into Lake Powell every day, and it was rising like maybe a foot a day or something like that. And so we needed time to just simply elapse to let more water come in so that it would start to raise the boat up a little bit. Patience is one of those really, really hard things, right? It's, it's a fruit of the Spirit, but we all get tested in those moments, right? Where we're just, hey, I'll call out to God here, but like I would like him to fix this right now. But sometimes you just need the water to flow in. And after several hours, the water had flowed in, probably only a few inches, to be quite honest. But when you're stuck on a rock, even a few inches can start to make a big difference. And Jesus is often, you know, he's, he's called himself, you know, uh, living water, right, or the water of life. And so both literally we needed water to get off of that rock, but figuratively, in a spiritual sense, all of us here need that water. We need that connection and that relationship with Jesus in order to get off of that rock, to get ourselves unstuck. I don't know where you're at, but I know that every one of us in this room needs Jesus. Now, I couldn't see this water flowing in, but I had to trust that it was happening just the same. And that could be where some of us are at sometimes in our own struggles. I want this to go away. Why does it feel like it's not changing? Why does my situation still feel like I'm struggling, like I'm stuck? But I'm telling you that Jesus is at work and he's actively healing and fixing in our lives. And it may be small changes, and having just finished up Thanksgiving, sometimes it's, you know, that idea of let's count our blessings and be able to say, Jesus, I may not be exactly where I want to be, but I am a little bit better than where I was before. Or this healing, this process is, uh, it's not completed yet, but it is moving in the right direction. My application for today comes down to three questions. And what I would really love to see happen is for each person here today to take these questions with you and go and spend some time alone with Jesus and just answer these. And really just think about them. The first one, and I think this one's fairly easy, it probably doesn't take a lot of reflection, is where are you laboring and stuck right now? I mean, that could be anywhere in life. It could be health. It could be finance. It could be job-related. It could be relational-related. I don't know. But we've all got areas. Getting stuck and, and 
encountering difficulty and conflict is inevitable and it's going to happen. So question number two I have, though, is have you called upon Jesus? I'll be honest. When I was on that rock, I called out to Jesus. Jesus, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how to get off of this rock. I'm not a boat guy. I don't know how faithful I was feeling in that moment. It might have been more of like, this is what I'm supposed to do. But like, am I really fully invested in saying, yeah, Jesus hears me and he's got this. There's a, another section, a couple chapters later in Mark. Um, Jesus has just been up on the mountain. He's coming down the mountain with Peter, James, and John. Meets up with the other disciples. And there's a, a dad there who says, I've brought my boy to you to be healed. Your disciples couldn't do it. And he says to him, uh, he talks about that there's a spirit that throws him in the fire and water. And he ends by saying, but if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. My prayer on the rock probably looked more like that. Hey, Jesus, I need you to help me. Like, and I didn't use the word if you're able to do anything, but probably the spirit behind it, the emphasis might have looked a little more like that. And the texture says, Jesus said to him, if you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. So part of this, when I say, have you called upon Jesus, is to honestly ask, have you? And have you done it with a spirit of belief? To say, Lord, I've, you are my Lord, and that makes me your servant, and I believe in your ability to transform and change whatever this situation is. The third question that I have here is, what is your default position in times of trouble? And is it reliant on Jesus? Uh, for a couple of years, I led a discovery group here, and I would often talk about this. What is your default position? And by that, it simply means, look, again, we're all going to have troubles. We're all going to have really good times, too. Where, what do you automatically do in those situations? Are you drawn to say, my default is when I'm in a, a time of trouble, I reach out to the Lord? Or is it to try to do it under my own strength? In a good time, is it to praise the Lord or is it to bask in the glory myself? One of my big encouragements for anyone here today is to trust in the Lord. Like uh, Proverbs says, with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, but decide that ahead of time. Make that choice here today. No need to say, I'm going to wait until I get into that situation and I'm like fully stressed out and I don't know what to do and then I'll decide if this following Jesus thing is a good idea or not. Make that decision now and say, I'm going to choose to trust Jesus right now. And by doing that, I know, I know trouble is going to come. You may walk out the door today and, and uh, you know, it could be somebody on the road. You could get into a car wreck or you could just have a, a disagreement with somebody and... and the devil's always going to be right there to say, yeah, see, so where's your Jesus now? But if you've chosen ahead of time, I'm going to follow Jesus and walk in his ways, I promise you he will not let you down. He may not always work the way you want him to, but that's not what Jesus is called to do. I want to close with a final thought. And so... If you'll close your eyes, I just want to read one more scripture, and I want you to hear this, because I think it's really beautiful. 
and it comes out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 28 to 31. So it was written like, I think, 700 years or something before Jesus. It says, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, I want to just say thank you, Lord, for your love for us and for your salvation. I want to thank you that you are good and that we can trust in you at all times, Lord. Whether we get into that place of struggle or a place of really good things, you're always right there with us. You have intentionality and purpose, Lord. You know exactly what you are doing. There is no mystery or nothing that, that sneaks up on you and surprises you. And as you say, wow, I, I really didn't know that was going to happen. Lord, you are our creator. You are our savior. And we just want to thank you for always being with us and for loving us. Would you bless us, Lord, and fill us with your Holy Spirit this day? Would you guide us, Lord, to follow you? And when we get into those places of trouble, would you give us hearts of faith and hearts of surrender, Lord, that would say, I am yours, Lord, and I trust in you, and it's not by my might or my power or my strength, but it is by the saving grace of Jesus Christ alone. Again, we thank you. Bless us and be with us, O oh Lord. Draw us close to you. In Jesus' name.